Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, a real delight to be here. It's, I think this is the fifth time that I've been involved with these area elder get-togethers in New England area, and it's, everyone's been a delight, and it's good to see some folks I haven't seen for a couple years. Normally, I have to go north to see Ralph, and he came all the way east this time to see me, so that's kind of neat. So um, I'm also thankful to be here because uh, we have a major ice storm in the Midwest. Um, we're forecasted to get up to one inch of ice by tomorrow afternoon. And um, we prayed that the Lord would hold off the ice until my flight and uh, flew out of Kansas City and the ice came in. So very thankful. Let's see. Paul, David, could you help me with a handout? All right, uh, what I feel exercised this morning to think with you about is a topic that I believe is probably one of the biggest inhibitors of body life within our local assemblies and also one of the biggest hindrances to effectual oversights. And um, that's the matter of anger and bitterness. And it's, I think, becoming more and more of an issue among us. And um, so what I'd like to do this morning is think... Uh, through the topic of managing anger first, uh, so we understand what anger is and it is not, and then look at the subject of bitterness and how we can avoid that in our own lives, but also uh, helping those sheep within our midst that might be struggling with uh, bitterness. Uh, First of all, turn in the book of James. I just want to preface our study together by looking at a couple verses in chapter 1. By the way, I want to apologize. Uh, I meant to ship a box of books uh, entitled Be Angry and Sin Not. It's a book that I've published, and I forgot it. But if that's uh, a topic that you are interested in, if you'll write down your name and a shipping address, I will ship books to you at no charge, just so you have the the tools. Okay. So before we leave, give me a a name and a shipping address, and I will send those to you. All right, James chapter 1. And I would like to read verses 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And this is a key thought. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let me read that one more time so we really let it sink in. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. The wrath of man... So we understand that we, are, we have a carnal nature within us, and if that's ruling our actions, our behavior, and that's ruling our anger, then it's not going to uh, uphold the glory of God. It's not going to work effectively uh, for honoring the Lord in anything that we do. And then in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, I want to introduce you to the subject of anger. Now in the book I call this chapter anger flavors. Uh, I find that in scripture there's four different types of anger that is mentioned. Uh, Anger is not a behavior. It is an emotion. Anger itself is not uh, a sin because uh, we see throughout scripture that God is angry. Uh, He has a righteous indignation against those things that offend his character, his holiness. So anger itself is not um, a sin. It's an emotion. But the things that anger motivates can be sinful or righteous. 
And so what I want to look at is four types of behavior that anger can motivate. Two of them are righteous and two of them are not. We're going to look at the two unrighteous ones first. So Paul writes to um, the Ephesians, and he says this, Let all bitterness, notice the word all, all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then I want to read the contrasting verse, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. All right, so in verse 31, uh, we're introduced to two types of anger. It says, I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, it says, let all bitterness and wrath. That is the Greek word thumos, wrath. And it has this idea of like a boiling pot of water that heats up and all of a sudden boils over. It's explosive. And uh, we would call that in our modern um, nomenclature rage. Right? It's explosive. It doesn't think. It just reacts. Um, normally, when people are motivated by rage, they blow up. 10, 15 minutes later, they recover, and they'll even come back and say, I'm sorry. All right? I prefer rage over the other type of anger, which is, um, after rap, we have anger. It's the Greek word orge. Orge is like a smoldering fire under a wet blanket. You can't actually see it from above, but it's there, and it's just fuming and smoking. It's under, under the skin, so to speak. Uh, oftentimes, we um, social etiquette keeps us from exploding publicly, and so we take more of a covert uh, opportunity to let unrighteous anger have its way or a carnal way. Now, the modern terms for rage would be open aggression, and uh, the modern term for uh, orge, or what I'm calling resentment, uh, is passive aggression. It's less noticeable, but it's still there. Often, um, resentment comes out in jabs, digs, sarcasm, things like that. Not blatant, but more of a guerrilla uh, warfare, right? You're making your presence, the fact that you're your anger, you're making that known, but not in the explosive way that uh, rage would, would uh, come out. So some examples of rage. We have, um, oh, like Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3. He was so angry that those three Hebrews wouldn't bow down to his image that he, he stokes up the furnace seven times hotter and throws them in it. That, that's an example of rage. Or uh, Balaam, Balaam's donkey. Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord and three times averted so that the angel of the Lord with the swords uh, drawn wouldn't kill Balaam. And Balaam is so angry, he doesn't even realize he's talking to a donkey. <laughs> so rage doesn't think. It's explosive. It just reacts. Uh, there's very little logic in it. Uh, resentment is more thought through. And again, it's more of a, a covert um, way of revenge. Unfortunately, this type of anger, where we're internalizing our feelings and not working through them biblically, it just keeps building up, building up, building up. And usually, when there is an outburst of someone who tends to clam up within themselves instead of blow up, that's not really the issue. You know, the straw that broke the camel's back. It, it's not, that's not the real issue. The issue was long, happened long ago, deep-seated, and that wasn't uh, dealt with. And so um, for 
Speaking of the way that the flesh would handle anger, there's basically two types of wrong ways to do it. Blowing up, clamming up. Both are just as wrong. Clamming up or resentment often leads to uh, bitterness, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then there's two righteous types of anger. Uh, One is called righteous indignation. Um, Again, aktao is the, the Greek word. If you make that work in Scrabble, that's extra points. Uh, and this is the, the idea that um, it's, this type of anger is upholding God's righteousness. So in the bad types of anger, there's self-hurt, self-motivation. It's a carnal motivation that's causing a behavior, rage or resentment. But for righteous anger, um, we put our interests aside and we think of the matter as God would, what, what behavior is going to uphold the righteousness and holiness of God? It's not self-motivated, it's God-motivated, all right, for his glory. So righteous indignation, some examples of this, Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 14. Uh, the Lord Jesus was displeased with his disciples for forbidding children to come to him. And then Jeremiah 7.21, Behold, this is the Lord speaking, Behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place. So one of the things I appreciate about God and his character is there's a lot of verses that teach us uh, about anger just from uh, watching the way that God behaves when he's angry. And God is, is slow to anger, quick to forgive. Right? And so in scripture we, we read things like God's Anger was kindled. You know, a lot of us, uh, I mean, we heat by wood. I know some of you do too. To, to get a really hot fire in your stove, first of all, you have to kindle it, and you feed it and, it, and it, and it builds up. And God's anger is like that. It's not explosive. It, it builds up. It's long-suffering. And then finally, it comes to a point where God says, no more, and then the righteous indignation comes forth. And then the last um, anger flavor that we'll look at is what I call uh, giving up or releasing. Charizomahi is the, the Greek word here. And I made a discovery years back. Actually, Randy, and a- Randy Amos and I were doing a study on this probably 20 years ago. And uh, I was doing a word study. I said, hey, I want to sh- tell you, brother, what I found out uh, from the study on anger. In the uh, Gospels, the main word translated anger is aphiemi. And that means to let it be or to suffer it. So when the Lord Jesus was on the cross and he's suffering for our sins and he looks up to heaven and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the Greek word aphiemi. It means suffer it, let it be. The Lord was not issuing forgiveness to those who had crucified him. What he was saying is, Father, let it be. Father, suffer it. Father, don't judge it now. And then if you go through Luke 23 and you look at the offenses of the Pharisees, the passerbys, um, the Roman soldiers, their blasphemy is continuous. It's imperfect tense in the Greek. It went on for a time until it ceased. And so uh, said... When, it, when the Lord Jesus said that to his father, that's also in the imperfect tense. So that makes the cross really come alive to us in the fact that the Lord just didn't say that once. Every time the accusation, the blasphemy, the, the mockery came in, 
the Lord pushing against an L on his feet to get sound out was saying, Father, let it be. Father, suffer it. Father, release it. Isn't that incredible? That's the kind of long-suffering nature God has. Affy Amy. So, we get to the epistles, and we have Affy Amy. Now, you'll find the, sorry, Chariot Zomahi. You'll find Chariot Zomahi a dozen times in the New Testament. Ten times it's in the epistles. Affy Amy, you'll find 149 times, only ten times in the epistles. So the main uh, word for anger in the Gospels is aphiemi, this idea of suffer it, uh, let it go, release it, take no action on it. But in the epistles, we get charizomahi, and what I find really interesting about this is it's in the middle voice, which means the subject in and of itself, the subject wants to take the action. And um, for those of you who know some Greek, Charis, the word for grace, this is the root word where Charizomahi comes from. Charizomahi says, I am going to unconditionally merit grace to this matter and release it forever. Whoa. That's a whole lot different than what we get in the Gospels. So in the Gospels, we get the mechanics of forgiveness. For example, um, we'll look at Matthew 18 in a minute, but uh, the Lord taught his disciples to be a forgiving people. Not just seven times, but seven times 70. In Luke 17, 3, the Lord said, if, if your brother comes to you and asks for forgiveness, you shall forgive him. All right, it's a command. So in the uh, Gospels, we get a lot of mechanics to govern the way that we interact with forgiveness. But in the epistles... We get the motive. We get the motive for for letting things go unconditionally. When I look at the cross and I see all that my Savior bore for me and the way that he bore it, why would I ever want to hang on to anything that has been done to me? Right? Amen? So that that was a really neat discovery for me as I was looking into um, uh, the Word of God. All right, so I have a little table there to try to put these anger flavors uh, in perspective. So rage seeks to do wrong. Resentment seeks to hide wrong. Indignation seeks to correct wrong. And release seeks to absorb the wrong. Uh, Rage seeks to destroy. Resentment seeks to hurt. Indignation seeks to oppose evil. Release seeks to allow God to avenge. Rage, open warfare, resentment, guerrilla warfare, indignation defends the truth, and release prays for resolution. Rage, guided by selfishness, resentment, guided by cowardice, indignation, guided by mercy, release, guided by faith. Rage is prohibited as well as resentment in the Bible, indignation uh, is required in the Bible, and release is exemplified. So, how does this work? Um, now we understand what these anger flavors are. How do we put that in practice? How do we apply it? So let's look at Matthew chapter 18 just for uh, a working example. I know it's a well-known passage of Scripture. I find, though, that it's not practiced. Um, a lot of the characteristics that are in the Scripture are not practiced 
specifically, and I think that's why it often fails. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Lord speaking to his disciples. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell everyone his fault. Doesn't say that, does it? Yeah, this is not the New Living Translation, by the way. I just... Okay, moreover, if, you, if your brother sins against you, what's the next word? Go. Now, go is, um, means go, right? In other words, it doesn't mean tweet, email, uh, text, or anything else on social media. I mean, there's a whole gamut of things you can do now. It doesn't even mean phone. It means go. There is something about meeting a brother face-to-face, who you love in the Lord, and meeting with them face-to-face and seeing the expressions in their face. There is so much in the body language that's conveyed that you just don't convey in words. And I find, personally, that, because I'm a writer. You know, I can write, I can type just as fast as anything. That would be my preferred means of communication. But I have learned that when it says go, put that all aside and just do what the scripture says. So go and tell him his fault. Now, notice fault is singular. It's not plural. A lot of times the reason that this first step of reconciliation breaks down is we go with a list, right? We've stored stuff up for a long time. I was working with um, a couple. This is when we were up in Wisconsin. I was working with a, a... a married couple, they were dairy farmers, and uh, I had them in marriage counseling, and this was physical. They were actually physical with each other. It was scary. And uh, so I, we got them calmed down and started talking about, it. you know what they went back to? Their honeymoon. They've been married 30 years. 30 years they've been hanging on to this stuff uh, and not dealing with it. And, um, boy, the, the list of offenses were so long. It, it took a long time to work through. By the way, I'm, praise the Lord, they're still married today. Um, and that's his grace. Okay, so we go and we work one fault at a time. We work one trespass at a time. We're not working a, a, a list of things. Um, now, if he hears you, praise the Lord, you gather a brother. So let's say that we're going to put into practice what we learned in our anger flavors. Let's say that... Um, we can use Paul. I'm staying with Paul, so this will be good. Let's say that I say something to Paul, that we're sitting in his living room, and, it, and it fends, it's offensive to Paul. What's he first going to do? The first thing he should do is release it to the Lord. Just let it go. Lord, um, the wrath of man doesn't work your righteousness. I love my brother. I don't want to hurt him. This is offensive. I'm just letting you take care of this. That allows him to think objectively now, what will uphold the righteousness of God? What's, what's good for me? Like, if I have a bent, and I'm, I'm needlessly going around and hurting other believers, and Paul knows that, he's going to come to me and say, hey, Brother Warren, you know, you said this, and I've heard you say it to other people, and, it, and it's not helpful to the body. Then I say, oh, man, I didn't even know it. Would you please forgive me? Luke 17.3, he says, yes, I forgive you. It is unbiblical to declare forgiveness with the lips until somebody has repented and knowledge offense. That's one of the, the ills of, um, I want to be careful of the terms I use, 
modern uh, philosophy is I've heard people, oh, just write them a letter and tell them that you forgive them. Well, that may have a certain amount of emotional release, but it doesn't hold up the righteousness of God. If you tell somebody you forgive them and they haven't repented from their sin, all you're doing is condoning their sin. That is not uphold the righteousness of God. So what we want to do, as soon as there's an offense, Lord, I release this to you, it moves it from the foreground of your thinking to the background of your thinking. It's not going to rule uh, your day. It's not going to keep you up at night. It's not going to get your stomach acids turned up because in faith, Lord, I'm letting you have this. I want you to deal with this. Show me the right way to reconcile this, to uphold your righteousness and also what's profitable. So now, if Paul confronts me and I say, man, you are just, you don't know what you're talking about, and I reject it, then he has the option. He may get a couple other people and and come and, and bring the issue to me again, and that's in verse 16. And if I still don't hear it, he may just let it go, or... He, he may say, you know, this is so important for the upholding the righteousness of God, or a, it's a character problem, or the fence is legitimate, then I want to take it to the church. If he uh, refuses to hear, tell it to the church, but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you, by the way, the you there is singular, it's not plural, that's key, you, a heathen, and a tax collector, and surely I say to you, Whatever, now the you is plural, bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So there's an offense between two brothers that's not reconciled, and the offending brother goes to the church for a ruling. And they say, yes, you're right on this. You have a right not to have fellowship with this, this brother, um, and so forth. Now, if it's a matter of sin, that could turn into ter- church discipline, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But this is clearly a matter between two brothers that doesn't turn to church discipline unless there's an act of sin, unrepentant sin. And that's why the you is singular. So as soon as offense happens, we release. We want the Lord to use it. What's good for this individual? What will uphold the righteousness of God? The end result is to be reconciled and battered. All right? And so... um, Anger doesn't have a personal goal or personal vendetta or something that it wants to gain. The kind of anger that we need to model is God's, which is others-focused. It's, it's got the good of others and the holiness of God um, in its view. All right, and then extending forgiveness. And Lord goes on in Matthew 18 to talk about uh, extending forgiveness. We need to be a forgiving people, a releasing people. Uh, not just seven times, but seven times 70. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, the NIV translates this, love keeps no list of wrongs. The same couple that I was working with, these dairy farmers, um, in a subsequent uh, counseling session, the husband brought up something um, that we'd already talked about. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, yeah, we talked about this. I said, If I recall, you brought that up. Your wife said that she was sorry, and you extended forgiveness. I said, I never want to hear about it again, and neither does the Lord. And so, you know, once it's worked, it's forgotten, right? We don't beat each other up with past failure. Who of us is innocent, right? None of us. 
And so we don't beat each other up for past uh, failures. I can look back now, and some of the people that I offended or offended me uh, were much closer. Because of biblical restoration, uh, we know what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. We got to experience the bad side with the good. And in the grace of God, we go on together, right? That's what we need to see. So um, I mentioned God's anger, Psalms, um, the book of Psalms, Psalm 145, eight's a good Example, God is slow to anger and uh, quick to forgive. Wrong to forgive or declare forgiveness uh, unless the person repents. And then, as I mentioned, in the epistles, we have charizomahi, uh, founded in grace. We get the motive for forgiveness, and that is looking at what we've been forgiven. Why would we ever want to hang on to somebody else's much lesser offenses? So we need to be a releasing, forgiving people. And then once it's dealt with, it never needs to be uh, brought up again. All right, so that's anger. Let's go now to the next step of not someone hasn't handled anger properly, especially resentment, and it's turned to bitterness. All right, it's interesting that the, the Greek word for bitterness is uh, Picria, and it's really talking about um, a poison, um, something that's toxic, a critity. And bitterness is it's a poison to the soul. Bitterness is a lingering, hostile, and agitated uh, disposition caused by a poisonous frame of mind. Bitterness causes people to agonize over hurtful events or perceived ills to the point they become repulsed in a cold and demeanor. Bitterness causes depression, anxiety, pessimism, poor mental and physical health. It wrecks relationships and hinders communion with God. Bitterness is a choice to be sidelined from experiencing God and his goodness. A a bitter person, it affects every relationship they have, especially with the Lord. And if we're not in fellowship with the Lord, I don't have the ability to be a blessing to anyone else, right? I think the Lord, uh, for many of you brothers I know and some I don't know, but our connection goes up before it goes down, right? Um, trusting Christ as Savior, born again. Trusting Christ as Savior, born again. Well, because these two brothers have been born again, they have a, a common Heavenly Father, Now they can enjoy the fellowship which is in Christ. Acts 2.42, it's interesting there, the fellowship is the fellowship, singular. It's his fellowship. And so uh, it's when believers are not at the Lord's table in communion with him, a partaking from him, we can't possibly have fellowship with each other. And so um, if someone's bitter, they're not in fellowship with the Lord. And it's impossible for other believers to, to have fellowship with them, the fellowship that Christ wants to uh, share with them because they're not sharing it with the Lord. And so this is important to realize that bitterness, this doesn't affect the individual that you want to get even with or you're holding a grudge against. It affects all relationships. Hebrews 12, 14 through 16 says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one Sorry, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up because trouble 
cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now this is a reference back to Deuteronomy 29.18, where Moses is telling the Israelites, don't go after idols. If you forsake Jehovah and you start embracing idols, you're going to be like a bitter root that defiles the whole. And so the exhortation there is, don't leave the Lord and pursue idols, because when you do, that is a root that springs up of defilement within the camp. And so what we can say from this in application from the New Testament is that a root of bitterness, someone who is, is rooted in bitterness, has a defiling effect on the body of Christ. And those in bitterness are not enjoying the peace of God. Those in bitterness are not reflecting the holiness of God. Those that are in bitterness are falling short of the grace of God. And that has a, um, it's like a virus. It has effect to the Lord's people. And what I find is interesting in talking with people that have anger issues and uh, have bitterness in the heart, a lot of times what they're bitter about isn't even real. It's not even real. It's, it's manufactured. It's an impression. It's, uh, you know, if we're going to w- wear the belt of truth, it doesn't mean that we just hold on to sound doctrine. It means that we want to get to the bottom of truth in every aspect of our lives. We don't take a one-sided story. Uh, we don't listen to gossip. We want just to know the truth, respond to the truth, and declare the truth. And so uh, it's important. I find a lot of time it's, it's virtual. The, the whole matter is virtual. And um, it's unfortunate how, how we respond to that. F.B. Mayer, I used to say F.B. Meyer, but Mike Atwood corrected me. He says, no, brother, it's F.B. Mayer. And I figure if anybody would know, he should be uh, should as an Englishman. He says, as we pour out our bitterness, God pours in us peace. Woodrow Kroll writes, when the root is bitter, imagine what the fruit might be. Hmm. All right, so why does bitterness occur? Well, I, there's probably a number of reasons, but I, I've just suggested four here. Uh, expectations are not met, especially when others are mocking your plight. And I had to think of Hannah. Hannah was probably Elkanah's first wife. Uh, She wasn't able to bear children. It was not uncommon for a Jewish man to take a second wife if his first wife couldn't uh, bear children. That's likely the scenario in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And so his second wife was bearing all these children, and it just added to her, because in the Jewish economy, for a a woman not to bear children, that was really looked down upon. It was sorrowful. And this going on year after year, and, and there was this... Uh, resentment, anger bit, uh, bearing up uh, in her own soul. Um, secondly, immense loss that seems to be unfair, especially if some are inferring that you have are being punished. And uh, Job is a great example for that. I don't know of anyone in the Bible that was inflicted in such a way as Job in such a short a time. Lost everything, and then his family, and then his health. And yet, with his lips... Uh, he didn't say anything that would offend God. Actually, he worships the Lord. Now, God allowed it to happen because there were things in Job's heart that Job didn't even know were there. And by the time that Job is restored, remember God comes to him in the whirlwind, two different times actually. Oh, that, that passage. 
Stand up like a man. I shall ask questions of you. I mean, this is a God of the creator, right? The creator God of the universe. And uh, that's the way he addresses Job. And so Job was better because of it. Job found out things that were in his heart they didn't know were there. God got the glory. Satan uh, got put down through the whole situation. It was a win-win-win for the Lord and for Job. But remember, his three uh, companions, these lovely comforters, they, they actually came to Job and they um, imagined the sins that Job must have committed for God to punish him like that. Job, you robbed from widows. You know, you, you took advantage of orphans. Job, you must have done this, because that was their worldview. And so not only had Job suffered, but now people are accusing him of wrongdoing, and he's suffering for it. Yeah, let's be careful not to speak for God when God's not speaking. I don't know the heart of God in these matters, and I don't know the heart of the person that God's... Um, working with. So it's easy for us to conjecture and think that God is doing this when he's actually not. Another source is suffering wrongly because of what others have done. And the prophets uh, would be a great example. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. Um, I thought of Ezekiel because when he is uh, put to the, at the location that God wants him to minister, he sets down for a whole week and doesn't say anything. But as he's watching the destitute remnant go back and forth in Babylon, God meets with him again. His heart's been softened. And then God uses him in a mighty way. But the, the impression is that he wasn't really excited about his calling, that there had to be a work in his heart um, where he became more compassionate for God's people. And then as we've talked, another reason is not releasing offenses to the Lord to judge. Uh, internalizing anger. So we just internalize, 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 and before long there's a mushroom cloud. But if we constantly release, and uh, sometimes in the Lord's Supper, this is a practical way I think about it. Lord, um, I know that you, uh, you did nothing wrong and you suffered for it, and this happened this week, Lord, and I'm just releasing this to you as a personal sacrifice. Now, if we, if we release it as incense rising up, into the nostrils of God, which he breathes in and says, hmm, that reminds me of my son. We can't pull it back, right? Sacrifice costs you something. And what it's costing is I'm taking all my personal rights off the situation. I give it to you, O God, because that's what your son did, and I'm following his example. And if you can do that constantly, then you don't carry the baggage around. There is too much work to do to be hindered by wrong, angry feelings. We, we need to just release those to the Lord and let him deal with it. We already read Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. I included Proverbs 14, 10 here. Bitterness is a private decision that affects all relationships. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. I would say no one else shares its joy. So avoiding bitterness Here's just some ideas, and again, if uh, as shepherds in the local assembly, if you're working with people with this kind of problem, here are some things to think about. First of all, thank the Lord for your closer identification with him, uh, for he was uh, wrongly ill-treated also. So let's look at 1 Peter 2. If, you've been in, if you're a full-time worker, you've been in the um, serving as an elder, You've been hurt. 
you, and, and there's been offenses done to you. It's just part of it, right? It's just a natural thing. So I have found these verses to be very helpful uh, through such times. For this is commendable, Peter says, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Why? Verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. I mean, think of the Lord Jesus. Since the moment he arrived on planet Earth, he endured the contradiction of sinners. He endured parents that had sin natures. He endured the sickness, the pain, and all the curses of the earth. He, he endured rejection. And then he was forsaken by all of his disciples. And then hanging between heaven and earth, stripped down, mocked, he was covered from darkness, and his father made him a suffering, uh, the sin bearer, suffering shame that wasn't his own. And so we see the Lord continuing to go on, doing the will of the Father, not injecting his own rights into the situation. Now, vindica- vindication day is coming. Amen? Vindication day is coming, and I look forward to that. But um, the Lord gives us a great example uh, in just uh, suffering and and uh, as he suffered, and it brings us a closer identification uh, to him. Secondly, realize that we live in a cursed world in which all sin, no one is innocent and blameless. And you're probably wondering what that example is of uh, eight racetrack. My brother, um, our family grew up on a farm in eastern Kansas, and our closest neighbor was a mile away, so we had to do a lot of our own games and things like that for fun amidst the chores. And one of the things that my brother and I like to do, younger brother, is we, were, uh, we got this uh, figure eight racetrack. We could set the whole thing up in my brother's room. And uh, the neat thing about a figure eight track is if the other guy gets ahead of you, you can slow down, and when he comes to the intersection, you can pop it and T-bone him and knock him off the track, right? So that, that became the fun way. If somebody got ahead of the other, just slow down, and then you try to T-bone him in the intersection, knock him off the track, and then you could win. Well, in the garden, the man and the woman went straight lines with the Lord. There was no sin. There was no friction. There was no individuality. So they walked in fellowship with the Lord. It was straight lines. But as a result of sin, a fallen nature has come down to each of us, and we live in a world that's cursed. And there's nobody who walks straight uh, lines. And so you've got people going like this all over the place. We're going to crash into each other's brothers. That's just it. What difference does it make if I crash into you five milliseconds before you crash into me? Right? If we're all going like this and we, one person T-bones the other and say, oh, you T-bone me. Well, if I'd been a little sore, you would have T-boned me. And so if we keep that picture in our minds that none of us are going straight and we're going to crash into each other, it, it really helps to get, keep that big picture. Um, my wife is now telling me, she says, sorry, I crashed into you. I said, yeah, well, I crashed into you yesterday. I mean, that's just the way it is. 
So that's, that's realize the big picture. Number three, <clears throat> do not let bitterness spread to others and allow yourself to be infected. It's like a virus. You know, we see that throughout Proverbs. If you hang around with an angry man, you're going to become angry. If you're a, a companion of the wise, you become wise. If you're a companion of fools, you become fools. If you hang around with a bitter person, that's going to have a negative influence on you. You're going to become bitter as well. So that's not infect each other. That's have a love for each other, not to infect each other. And also inoculate ourselves from hearing the gossip, hearing those things, which would then also cause us to get bitter. Again, as I said, often these are virtual fences. It's just gossip. There's not even a reality to it. Uh, number four, do practice releasing offenses to the Lord immediately. Declare forgiveness only after confession. So we released. That's the mental part. Uh, immediately we'll let the Lord have it. And then forgiveness is, is verbally given when the person has confessed the wrong. Uh, number five, thank God for what we do have instead of complaining or uh, perceived shortfalls. Uh, learn to be content. Rejoicing is a choice. Paul teaches us that in Philippians chapter 1. And so sometimes the Lord does lead us into shortfalls, but that's to teach us, Right? So Paul says, I've learned to be uh, happy, joyful in the Lord, whether I abound or whether I'm in lack. In other words, circumstances and resources shouldn't have a bearing on the joy that I have in the Lord. That's internal. Uh, Cyril, you ask about our family. Um, you know, we've been in a health crisis for, for a year and a half now um, with individuals in our family. Um, uh, when we were up in Wisconsin, we got exposed to Lyme's and some of the co-infections. And I'm happy to say I uh, had Bartonella. I finished treatment at the end of September, and I've been good since then. And my wife uh, should um, end treatment for Babesia in March. Uh, my son probably has a good year to go with uh, Babesia. He had to come out of mission aviation training. And uh, daughter Kate is in, uh, still in a hard way. Uh, she's been in treatment for a year and a half and still is not progressing very well. Um, you know, I think the Lord, all four of my children are going on for the Lord. They love the Lord. They want to serve the Lord. And yet now they have these physical things that are holding them back. Uh, to see your daughter um, struggle for days with air hunger um, and weeping and not, not, not want to live anymore. That's hard, isn't it? And so you, you look at these things and you say, oh, Lord, Why? But suffering, if there was no God, would not make any sense at all. But to know that I have a God who sees all, knows all, who is planned out for his glory and our betterment, I can rest in that. And so um, just keep reaffirming God's in control. Um, I was able to share with our Wednesday night Bible study group last year with four people in treatment, uh, we were bleeding out between three and $4,000 a month. Totally uncovered. Now, as a full-time worker, that's a lot of money. And today, I can tell you, the Lord has provided every bit of it without even making the matter known. We have a great God, and he takes care of us. And so uh, it's just another lesson. Give these things to the Lord. Let Trust in him. Don't get bitter over a shortfall or misconceived, thinking, oh, I'm getting the bad end of the deal. I have full confidence that I'm not going to get the old tray back, and I'm not going to get the old Kate back. I'm going to get a better son and a better daughter.
through the, this experience. So that's have confidence in the Lord. And then number six, another thing that's really encouraged me, if the Lord has waited 2,000 years for his vindication, can't we wait a few years with him before we're vindicated? Isn't that right? I mean, if the Lord has waited 2,000 years for those who blasphemed him, for all those through the centuries who have profaned his name, for him to set matters straight and be acknowledged for who he is. If he's waited that long, can I wait a little time with him to have wrongs set right? And he'll do it in such a better way anyway than I ever could. So we need to rest in him. Lee Strobel writes, If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, but you feel distant from him during the era of your life, if you're having difficulty resting easily in forgiveness... Could it be because you're blatantly refusing to let go of your animosity towards another person? And beloved, if it's in the oversight, it's going to wreck the meeting. The, the elders have to be in fellowship and communion with the Lord. Fellowship with each other, communion with the Lord to be able to govern the sheep. So if that's a problem in your meeting, get it fixed. And then you'll be able to help others in the uh, local meeting that are struggling with um, bitterness. Again, bitterness cripples all um, relationships. It's better just to release and trust the Lord in these matters. And then I'll just close with this quote. Um, this is by C.H. Um, Spurgeon. He said, Be careful, dear friends, that you do not misrepresent God yourselves. You who murmur, you who say that God deals hardly with you, you give God an ill character. When you look so melancholy, Worldlings say the religion of Jesus is intolerable, and so you stain the honor of God. I think that's a good thought to, to close with. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for bringing us along. Um, I think each one of us, Lord, would just say we acknowledge that we have failed in this area. Um, we have interjected our own rights. Uh, when we've been offended, we have sought to get even. Uh, we have sought to uh, defend our name, our reputations, and we're sorry for all of it, Lord. We know that um, you would do much better at this type of uh, work than we ever could. So we pray, Father, that in the future, that as offenses occur, we might handle them big biblically and in love seek what's good for the other person and for your honor and glory. Please help us, Lord, to have an overwhelming love uh, for the person and think what they could be when the grace of God is abiding in their heart and that they're in full fellowship with you. So, Father, please help us in this matter to manage these, this anger. It's, it's such a powerful emotion, Lord. It's so easy to sin if we, if we, don't, if we hang on to it. Please help us, Lord, to, to deal with these things appropriately. Thank you for each one here, Lord. Please speak to us and and uh, guide in a very personal way today, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.